Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. It is Friday, the 9th of May. You are listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter, the co-founders of 89N, which is the proud home of Manage Flutter, over 1.5 million users, and CheckDog, which checks websites for spelling errors, broken links. If you haven't given them a go, all we ask from you by listening to this podcast is go try them, give them a go. We are currently putting up this podcast every two weeks, so subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Facebook. You know the drill. Um, you can even email us. You can find our email address. And if you are listening to this while using Manage Flutter or are listening to this from iTunes, pop, pop on over to the website. It's a monkey.com. Leave some comments around some of the issues we are discussing. We love to engage with you on the comment section. Anyway, we have a great show lined up um, for you today. We will be speaking to Peter Cohen, who is a contributor at Forbes magazine, and he wrote an article about Google Glass. Google Glass has been all over the press, and we just wanted to explore about uh, where it's at, some of the feedback, some of the reviews, um, and a bit of a general discussion about wearable tech. So we interviewed him, and we'll be um, having an interview a little bit later on in the show. But first, as always, we start out with the tech news. Firstly, James, hello. Good morning or afternoon, depending on when you're listening to this. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Are you wearing battling your... The, battling all the, the various challenges that life's bringing. Man, you know, I'm, I'm sort of secretly envi- envious of you. I'm a frustrated developer. <laughs> You've, uh, you're a developer without, uh, without the code without writing the code. Yeah, I mean, you guys are just alchemists. I mean, you guys control the world. Mm. I, I wish we controlled more of it. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny. I think um, I think uh, when, it, when I was growing up or going through high school, I think um, I think there was, a, there was like a vote or something. And I think uh, people voted for who was most likely to become like a, an evil genius or like, like control the world or something. World yeah. domi- a game for world domination. Yeah. And yeah, I won that vote. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think people are a bit scared of me. So. Well, at least you're using your force for um, benevolence. Yep. Haven't, um, haven't tried to take any over any countries yet. So. No, but it's, um, you know, when I, lo- I, when I look at you guys putting the code together, it's, um, it's all modern day alchemy and, and it's, um, it sure is. It's um, so. Even though you have the frustrations, you you guys have the keys to it all. Anyway, let's let's get straight into the tech news. Now, let's. Um, Siri, the the internet disappeared. Syria's internet disappeared off the map. Yeah. Well, that was uh, was that yesterday? Yeah, a couple of days ago, I think. Hmm. Um, and the Syrian government claims that um, um, that there was a fault in optical fiber cables mm. yeah it sounds a bit sus um in the in the tech crunch article and there's a few people have been reporting that all of the uh all the lines go through a, a single state-owned provider and for all of the i think it's like four internal opera- operators and for all of them to fail at once is very um very suspicious i mean when you look at the akamai traffic um, going in and out of Twitter, the graph of it, Akamai being you know one of the um, internet traffic contact delivery networks, and you just see it just drop for a chunk of time and then 
come back up, mm. you know. And I think, I think you know, this brings up the, the, the issues in countries that do have state-controlled telecommunication services um, and how, I mean, if anything, it should, how vulnerable, but also how scared they are of the power of these as yeah. well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it would be interesting to, to sort of know why these you know, why they were shut it down, you know, what specific, um, you know, purpose they were trying to achieve, you know, is there some sort of, you know, group gathering or something that they were trying to stop, you know, protests happening or something? I don't know. They said in one of the articles I read, they said that um, they usually shut down the internet before some large attack. Uh, all right. So that um, people can't sort of provide information about or it. Some, or something like mm. that. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, um, I mean, one of our developers here, Babak, he's from Iran originally, and, and there they do all sorts of crazy stuff. Mm. But he says the only thing that it's resulted is people becoming experts in <laughs> VPNs. <Yep. laughs> you know? So he says everyone is an, an expert in a VPN, basically using it to route around Iran's, you know, um, firewalls and etc. So yeah, you can probably achieve it, achieve shutting down for a short period of time, but you certainly can't... Um can't quell the most dedicated, um, you know, people who really want to get at this stuff. You know, it's not like, um, I think, piracy. Like, there's lots of things that people have tried over years to sort of quell it. And they sort of have temporary measures. But, you know, if people are, are dedicated enough, you know, there's always a way to get back up. Yeah, look, I mean, even if you, in Syria, if you go on to um, dial-up or satellite mm. or things like that. So, you, you know, the, the, the human thirst for information and connectedness is actually, it's, it's quite remarkable, really. Yeah, yeah. Very hard to, hard to pull it back when it's, when it's reached so far. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Anyway, that's, uh, th- I think we're very blessed to live in a liberal, um, deliberative democracy. Um, what else do we have in the news? Ori Alon. Now, Ori Alon, he is an Israeli slash Australian entrepreneur developer. He developed some technology that in 2006, I think he was still at the University of New South Wales. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Um, 2006, and Google bought that tech for squillions. Well, not squillions, mm. but... Um, 100 million or something around there. Um, a nice chunk of change, both for the university and for Ari. He then went to build out a company called Yulpan, which was also a big data type of uh, analysis service, the discovery service that then got bought out by Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, such a young guy to have your company bought out by your tech, or at least your tech bought out by Google, then Twitter. Mm. And now he's on to his third company, but I believe he's a little bit frustrated because both of those companies, he actually never made any, you know, he never got any cash flow out of them. I mean, he they got bought for a lot of money, so he's a young and very rich guy. He's now based in New York. I've, I've chatted to him on the phone before about some some uh, Twitter technologies, etc. And now he has built a, new, a startup in New York where he's based um, with the aim, hopefully, of creating a, his own company that actually makes money. So it's called um, what's it? Urban Compass. Urban Compass. Now, it still seems, I don't know if it's intentionally all a little bit under the radar and in beta. It seems some sort of apartment listing curated type of agency service. Yeah, it's a bit odd. I mean, it seems to be some sort of combination of um, hyperlocal, social, real estate, 
and a platform for all the words that this that, that's being used. You left used. out an API. I'm sure it's got an API <laughs> as well. Yeah, so it seems to do an awful lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, some sort of. Um, I think it's probably closest to a social network, but it's targeted for sort of real estate and and local connections. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously it's not uh, it's not released yet, as far as I know. There's no, no actual thing I you can actually go and look at. So yeah, I did, I did register for it, and um, I'd be interested to see what it is. I mean, I you know people in cities like New York and San Francisco and Sydney um, and Melbourne, it, it is a massive problem. Mm, you know, uh, getting apartments, getting rid of apartments. It's it's the the markets are not as um, there's still friction in the markets, you know. It's still they're still inefficient the the, the whole process. So I can certainly see um, why it's it's definitely a, a pain point. But I'm still quite surprised that, um, yeah. Look, I guess it's difficult to comment until we really know what more about what it does. Yeah. Look, I mean, yeah. There's definitely there's definitely a big market there. I mean. I think the interesting question is: Is who is he aiming to buy this one? If he's had Google and Twitter buy his other stuff? Ah, uh, look. I mean, he's. I. I don't think he needs it to be bought. He <laughs> doesn't know. need it, but maybe it's Facebook. Maybe that's the. Maybe he's aiming after the sort of the local social networking and uh, getting into that side. I but think he's at the the point of the entrepreneurial journey where he'd like to satisfy himself and prove <laughs> that he can build a company that turns maybe, revenue. Maybe. Yeah. You know, t- turning revenue um, in a scalable way, you know, not selling time, turning revenue in a scalable way is, is I think, is the ultimate uh, mark of a company, Definitely, you know, because yeah. ultimately that's what you have to do, you know. Yeah, it's uh, not easy to do. Uh, eventually, sooner or later, you know, so um, that, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, Urban Compass, and he says that he's going to roll it out in different markets as well. So, um we will look at that with interest. And wow, anyone who's been apartment hunting in New York, I mean, in, in Sydney, will definitely know as well what an excruciating, um, pretty unpleasant process it is. Um, what else do we have going here? I see at the, at the talking enterprise, which you know is never as sexy as consumer web, but Google seems to have rolled out um, some new admin features for Google Apps. Hmm. Yeah, they seem to have. Um, I'm not sure if there's are there, are there new features. As far as I can tell, it's kind of just a re. It's a reskinning, so it's to make um, the app section of the of the site just much easier to use, and I, I guess much more approachable for new users. Um, which has definitely been a problem. It's always been. You know, Google haven't always been great with their interfaces, and and I think that apps interfaces had lots of stuff bolted on over time. So it's definitely long overdue for a for a new look. Um, yeah, I've, I I don't think it's rolled out yet. I've I've tried accessing the URL and it's just broken for me. I've got a four hundred four error keeps coming up every time I try and log in. So right. Um, well, they say. Um some of the, the things being introduced in the admin console, which rolls out in a few weeks, include a, uh, a search bar, new usage and activity stats in a glance, some bulk user actions, and customizable dashboard. I think what would be cool is if they actually make the um, uh, like the apps marketplace a little bit more front and center. I mean, Google's always had this long-running, um, I think, aim to try and sort of build 
a marketplace for enterprise apps. And I know they were, they've been doing quite a bit of work in that for a while. And there's lots of um, places where you can kind of integrate your existing Google Apps accounts and very easily add in new products. Um, but, um, you know, from what I've seen on the existing interface, it's always been quite hidden, you know, behind a few layers. So I think if they brought that front and center um, and started building up that marketplace for enterprise, it would be a very interesting, you know, a bit like almost like, you know, Apple's, I st um, Apple's store kind of controlling the mobile space. Um, oh, well, obviously, you know, there's the, the Google, Google Play Store for Android. But, I mean, if they can get that working for businesses and building like an app store for business, I think that would be a very, very profitable thing for them to do. Building marketplaces is a hard thing to do. Absolutely, yeah. It's yeah. a hard thing to do. I mean, they, they're interesting and they're fascinating. And when they work, boy, do they work. Yeah. But so many, so many carcasses of businesses in the in the marketplace yeah, area. It's littered, li littered um, with people that, and and even you know web hosting companies and all sorts of companies that create sort of try to create these little marketplaces to insell into their into their customers, and and usually they just they just wither. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to have a certain scale, which I think is why you know any sort of companies like Google and, and Apple, you know, can really do anything very successful in the space. Does Google own any dating properties? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Not that I know of. They're not into the human. I mean, they're really engineering, aren't they? Yeah. Like, like social media, dating, and and they. they I mean, they've got Google Plus, but it's decidedly non-dating focused i would say it's not um it's not like facebook sort of, sort of about relationships i think it's you know google's more about the, the data and the consumption of news and that kind of stuff yeah it's an interesting point actually you can definitely see it in the product yeah because that's that's one marketplace and it is essentially a marketplace it just happens to be humans involved but that's one marketplace that's quite quite interesting and um uh, yeah i still think there's I'm still surprised that there there haven't been, you know, Facebook hasn't got that into that marketplace a lot stronger. Mm. I believe there are some sites that do somehow overlay or underlay, but I, I still, it still seems very, you know, 2000. Yeah. You know, and a lot of the sites like um, eHarmony or whatever, they, they pretend to offer something more, but I don't know if they really offer something more. I mean, I haven't dug that deep into it but yeah. well I, I met zara through rsvp oh, i found my my future wife through online dating so well that's very appropriate <laughs> for um you know uh, um a, a geek and i say that word with with utmost affection i think i think it's becoming more popular these days i mean it's still um I think it's it's still you know people are sort of realizing it's so hard to do it through sort of traditional traditional means and you just get such a wider pool accessible to you when you start using these kind of services. Well, I've actually been trying to get the author of Sex at Dawn um, to talk on the show. Now that books, he's it's a it's a great book. Uh, is written about the evolution of human sexuality, um, very much based on the analysis of animals and primates, and he compares like apes versus bonobos and things. And it's a fantastic book. Mm. And one of the things I want to chat to him about is how have these marketplaces, i.e., dating sites, really impacted the way relationships have mm. changed because i've seen in my in um, my younger friends um you know i've got friends from 20 to 
75 and the younger ones they they just seem to be approaching relationships very differently and i think it's a multitude of factors but i think the fact that there's quotes unquote more efficient marketplaces to meet people yeah um, yeah. definitely changes things um, quite a bit. So anyway, maybe I'd like to d- discuss that issue at some stage. But anyway, we digress um, from... from um, Enterprise apps. <laughs> from, Google, <laughs> from Google apps. But uh, yeah, I, I love, you know, it's, it's something that the internet is just so good at is, is marketplaces. Yeah, you know, definitely. it's just really where it, it really excels. Um, speaking of marketplaces, there's, um, there's a company called HealthTap that's just landed up with a huge amount of funding and they want to become the Quora for doctors. Now, of course, Quora is a terrific question and answer site that's really fascinating. Um, The reason why I found this article interesting, James, is I still think healthcare and doctors in general, they haven't really risen to the occasion of embracing not only all the new tech out there or online tech, but in terms of all the data and... and, um, you know, crowdsourcing and things like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's 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 an area that's ripe for disruption. I think it's it's one of the the areas that this, it's really had very very little. I mean, there's lots of work that's been happened, but this that's happened in the space. But still, if you've got a problem, you still have to go to a doctor. Like, there's no you're just not going to get any kind of reliable information online other than sort of putting in your symptoms and getting you know discovering that you've got leprosy or that kind of stuff you know (laughs) discovering the worst case every single time so there's very little that's a very good point i mean that's a very good point that people they somehow they come out with worst case scenarios time and time again always you always end up with awful stuff every time you look you put in like you got a runny nose and and whatever and and the finger hurts and bubonic plague exactly (laughs) so and you know i think there's interesting things that could be done with data and you know obviously you know startups like this like health tap where you know, they're actually take, taking doctors and responding to questions. Um, and I, I don't know what that model is going to look like for the one that actually disrupts the existing healthcare system, but it's got to be there. Um, you know, any kind of system that relies on, um, it relies on, you know, this kind of information disseminated through individuals, I think a lot like teaching as well, um, is the same sort of thing. It can just, just, just be done much more efficiently if there's some way that it can be scaled through the internet. So, yeah, I think it's quite exciting. And it's backed by who I think is one of the most um, interesting and smartest uh, VC guys, which is Vinod Kosla from Kosla Ventures. He was one of the original founders of Sun, or are you called Sun? Oh, okay. I think Sun. Yeah, I think there were four of them. Um, and I've heard him talk at the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference. If you if you're listening to this podcast and you're into tech startups and entrepreneurship stuff, um, Google Vinod Kosla and he's and have a look at some of his talks. He is just so on the money, and he's very passionate about the changing the world type of projects. You know, he could have retired many times over now, um, and he's just got such wonderful clarity of thought. Um, I think we should get him on next week's podcast. <laughs> Sounds like a good one to me. <laughs> I'm sure he listens religiously. Anyway, if anyone's listening and can, um, you know, uh, get us in with Vinod, may- maybe I will try email him. I mean, we have had Phil Leibon, CEO of Evernote, on the podcast. If you haven't listened to that podcast, go to the itsamonkey.com. Um, that's our most listened to podcast. Um, I think about 3,000 people have listened to that podcast. Um, so, yeah, we're going to aim to get some more 
high profile people not really just i mean high profile is the wrong the wrong way to um, term it smart and interesting that's really what we um you know and in our industry they luckily tend to go together Mm -hmm. it's not like say entertainment or something where there's there's strange correlations sometimes (laughs) but in our industry often the higher profile people um the likeful Liburn are, are the smart and capable ones. Anyway, you're listening to, um, I nearly said um, our wrong name. So it's, it's, the, it's, it's been a long week for us <laughs> both here. Um, you're listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey podcast every two weeks at the moment. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be speaking to Peter Cohen, who's a, a contributor um, at Forbes magazine, and we'll be talking to him about Google Glass. So stay tuned. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. You're back with Kevin Garber on the It's a Monkey podcast. Now, something that's been all over the tech press is something called Google Glass. You might have seen photos of people wearing these. Um, I almost said funky glasses, but they're definitely not funky glasses. Maybe only if you're a geek. Um, Google released to a very select bunch of people um, this product called Google Glass, which basically projects inside the lens a type of um, user interface and, and a screen that you can do all sorts of bits and pieces. Um, you know, you can take photos and you can tweet out. Um, on them, and I thought um, I noticed an article a few days ago on Forbes Online, which I read pretty regularly, and um, about Google Glass. And I managed to um, get the author of uh, um, is Peter Cohen, who's a uh, con- contributor at uh, Forbes. He's also also the author of Hungry Startup Strategy, and is a lecturer as well on everything relating to entrepreneurship. So. Fresh early in the morning, Massachusetts time. Welcome, Peter, to the It's a Monkey podcast. Oh, thanks, Kevin. It's great to be with you. So just give us a little bit of uh, the background. Google Glass, um, did I miss anything of what it's actually you know, about and what its aims are to do and why Google have brought all, you know, this technology out, out into, the, into the tech landscape? Well, the answer is that um, I can tell you about some of the things that it does, which might be helpful. Please do. Um, yeah, it basically, they're selling them now for $1,500. Um, they allow you to display recent smartphone and Google account communications like uh, texts and emails. Uh, you can receive phone calls. You can send texts. You can take photos and video. You can show maps. And you can deliver search results uh, using Glass. And <clears throat> there's another feature of it, which I find really interesting, is that Somebody has already developed an app for Google Glass that allows you to blink your eyes and it will take a picture. 
I read about that. That's really interesting. And of course, they've released an API to Google Glass. So people are frantically developing um, applications around Google Glass. And I believe there's even a a, a VC fund set up with its intent just just to fund projects around Google Glass. That is that is correct. Uh, I can't I can't remember who is the one that did it, but I, I have read about that. So that is true. And uh, I uh, wrote about. Google Glass and the potential uh, applications for Google Glass. I was just sort of dreaming up some things because uh, several months ago they had this uh, little process uh, where they were trying to get people to talk about um, ways that you could use Google Glass. And so I wrote about five different ideas and what you were supposed to do is use the hash, hash, hashtag, sorry, uh, if I had glass. Right. And uh, so I wrote uh, five different ideas for how it could be used. And uh, then they asked me to be one of these people who would be the early buyers of this product. Uh, and I was, basically they said, you know, you can, you can pay $1,500 and in my case go to New York and pick up these Google Glass. And um, I decided against doing it um, primarily because I like to write stuff that kind of pops bubbles and sort of de-poofs things. And uh, I figured if I got sucked into the Google Glass thing, especially on Forbes, I would be basically a paid mouthpiece um, for, for Google Glass, which would not be good. So I wanted to avoid that. Wow. Well, we wish you could have bought it on our behalf because uh, as tech junkies, we're frothing at the mouth to try anything shiny and new and particularly something that's a little bit of a new paradigm, I guess, wearable tech. It hasn't been much of it up until now, but a lot of people are saying that it's going to be the next wave, so to speak. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, I've seen estimates um, for the size of the market. Um, one estimate I saw was that uh, the combination of uh, Google Glass and those self-driving cars that Google is making, I'm sure you're familiar with those. Sure. Those could be ultimately worth $500 billion, $500 billion, which is a pretty big number. Uh, although they're not really saying when that would happen. Uh, and then the other more specific uh, estimate is that there will be, uh, by 2016, three years from now, there will be 6.6 million shipments of smart glasses, uh, of which uh, obviously uh, Google Glass is one and probably would be the market leader. So if you sold each one of those for um, $1,500, that would be about $10 billion. So in other words, Google's share price is looking pretty cheap at the moment. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting questions about this. First of all, uh, will they sell it for $1,500 or will they lower the price? Because I think for a lot of people, $1,500 is sort of a lot of money. Uh, although I'm sure that there are people who would just salivate to get their hands on those Google Glasses and be happy to pay. The other aspect of Google stock price that's not reflected in that $9.9 .9 or $10 billion number um, is the uh, advertising that they will be able to sell uh, to people who have their Google Glasses on. I'm, you know, I'm thinking that they probably have a strategy of, of, of turning that into a, uh, a platform for selling advertising. So there's additional revenues that would probably come from that part of it. 
But of course, with Google Glass, what would be really interesting would be location-based advertising as well. You're wearing your glasses, you walk past a store, or they, and they, and they, if they have your search history as well, so they've got your entire profile of uh, your your context, your context. The targeting, this hyper-targeting, could be really. I use the word interesting. A lot of people would say spooky, but um, I, I guess that's would I would imagine that would be their long-term play, um, ultimately. Well, um, you raise a very interesting point, which is uh, at least when you talk about that. What I was thinking about was I wrote a, a post yesterday about whether Google Glass violates community standards. I read that, um, and uh, what I think is really funny about it or interesting about it to me is that uh, it got more hits than any other post on Forbes yesterday, about 100 and, over 170,000. Wow. Um, That's nice traffic. The, set, the number two post has 70,000 hits, so it's much more than the number two post. But the interesting thing about it is that this, this obviously hits a nerve with a lot of people. Um, and there, there are three ways that uh, I wrote about that I think it potentially could violate community standards. Um, one of them is that uh, the privacy issue, um, which you sort of alluded to before in your comment, I mean, about this lo location-based uh, advertising is sort of another form of violating uh, privacy. Some people would say violating privacy. Uh, you know, one example of this is that there's a bar in uh, Seattle, Washington, uh, you know, in the northwest of the U.S., um, where uh, they have banned Google Glass um, because people go there and they, you know, do things that they don't want to have tweeted and Facebooked about. But isn't uh, isn't Seattle a type of hipster city where they want to be so cool that they're even cooler than the tech, and banning the tech makes them even cooler than the tech? Well, you raise a great point, which is that it's <laughs> it's primarily uh, a, it was a very clever PR stunt because exactly. now. You know it, it, that that the name of the bar made it into the New York Times, which is great PR for them. It made it uh, even but, even over to all the way across the pond to Australia. So yeah, I think I think oh, okay. it might it might have been a very smart marketing yeah, move on the bar. Yeah, very clever, very clever marketing. But still, I mean, I can appreciate the idea that um, people might not want to go to a, or might go to a place where they feel that they are less likely to be. Um, less likely to be, uh, you know, have their photos on, on, on Twitter and so on. On the other hand, um, unless this bar is also banning cell phones or smartphones, then, you know, there's going to be other ways for people's pictures to be taken. So I'm not sure if that's, you know, as you say, it's, it's a pretty good publicity stunt. But still, I think there is this feeling of, uh, particularly when you can just wink to take somebody's photo. And I've, I've read a number of other comments about this whole notion of people... Uh, being nervous about the ease with which you can take pictures or or do uh, videos, um, and uh, s with Google Glass, especially with that winking feature. So that's that's one sort of form of violating community standards. You know, do are, are people really comfortable with that? Uh, you know, you, some of the things you mentioned uh, about knowing your search history and giving you uh, ads, serving up ads based on your location and your search history. Um, some people might be a little uncomfortable with Google having all that information and, and using it to sell advertising to you. Uh, some people might not, but it sort of pushes the boundaries. Uh, and then there were two other ones that I thought were interesting. There was the one about uh, corporate privacy and corporate protection of intellectual property and trade secrets. Uh, so in Las Vegas, um, the, uh, 
the uh, Google Glass is banned in the casinos and banned in the entertainment venues. So you can't use the Google Glass to you know count cards or you know whatever try to beat the beat the house on gambling, and you can't use it to watch and rebroadcast uh, you know uh, bands that are performing or whatever kind of entertainment is being performed. Uh, so they're, they're banning that. And then the third thing is people uh, in uh, West Virginia, uh, which is sort of on the east eastern side of southeastern United States, um, they want to ban. Uh, Google Glass for people who are driving uh, because they're worried that people will be sort of distracted if they're driving and looking at their texts or whatever on their Google Glass and it'll be danger make dangerous driving. Uh, they haven't actually passed it but they want to want to pass it. So those are all ways that Google Glass sort of violates uh, community standards or pushes them beyond where they are now and sort of my feeling is that uh, you know, the, the Google Glass has not even gone on sale yet, and you, you already see these things happening. Um, I'd be very surprised uh, if there was not a lot more of this once people actually start wearing them in a lot, in, en masse. Yeah, I think it's, it brings up a whole, a whole range of issues. I think the driving one is a very, very significant one. I mean, they're struggling to keep tabs just to, just on texting and calls etc causing causing accidents I, I i read an article in the local press here that distractions in the cars are causing more accidents than drunk driving so distractions are a major major issue my my prediction is though that apple or um, you know, maybe even someone like like Samsung or even one of the glasses companies like Oakley might actually trump Google in getting the style right, the form factor right, the functionality right. I think if Steve Jobs was still around, I think we may have already had some wearable tech or some glasses already. It's sort of, it almost seems like it's the next logical phase of Apple to really push out into new territory, which they so desperately need to do to reinvigorate the, the share price. Well, that's that's an interesting point. I mean, if you you talk about Apple, um, I've, I've written some things about Apple um, and have discovered that Apple has the most uh, passionate customers of any company. Um, Anytime I ever talk about Apple in any way other than praising Apple, uh, I get a, a comment storm that is unrivaled for any other thing I write. Um, but my conclusion is that um, uh, with Steve Jobs gone, so is the so is the Apple that everybody's still clinging to. Um, the um, number of of blunders and and the lack of new products uh, coming out of Apple. Uh, since Jobs died, uh, it's just so different. Um, it just feels like Apple is sort of drifting um, and kind of messing up. And you know, basically, the, their latest thing where they gave I don't know 100 billion dollars to shareholders to me is sort of uh, saying I give up. I can't figure out how to how to innovate. I can't figure out how to spend money. Uh, meanwhile, they're working on a five billion dollar. Uh, corporate headquarters, which I sort of see as sort of a, a edifice complex, uh, a monument to Steve Jobs, and you know, it's a, I'm sure it'll be a great building. But still, uh, usually when companies get involved in those big corporate headquarters, it's usually a bad sign. But more specifically, I think on, on Google Glass, I, I completely agree. I think that uh, Apple would have uh, would, would would basically wait until this glass market was really well established and then come in with something that was much much better 
than anything else that's out there. That was their sort of pattern when Steve Jobs was CEO and the second coming of Steve Jobs was that with uh, MP3 players, with smart, with, with phones and with tablets, he went after an established market and came in with a product that was much better and gained a significant amount of market share. So I think that the strategy that Apple would have used under Jobs would have been to wait to see whether this glass market becomes established and then come out with a much better design. I mean, one of the design issues uh, with glass right now is that the um, visor doesn't fold. So when you're not using it, it's sort of hard to figure out what to do with it. Um, so it's kind of a, a less high-tech kind of aspect of it. But from a practical standpoint, you know, they have to figure out how to make it easy to sort of stow away when you're not wearing it. Um, another thing that I think is a problem on design is that they have um, this uh, ease, in my view, of somebody just taking it right off your head. And, like, people do with, with uh, iPhones, they'll steal them from you. It'll be really easy for people to just swipe them off your heads and go and resell them and make 1500 bucks. Uh, so, you know, the ease of hijacking them. Is, and there's also another form of hijacking right now, which is that um, the most common way that people interact with um, glass is they say, okay, glass, take a picture. Okay, glass, vid take a video or something like that. They talk. And if you're in a public place, you're in the subway or you're just in a public place, anybody who's near you can basically say, okay, glass, take picture, and it, it'll take a picture. So they can essentially take over control of your glass just by being in earshot or of, the, of, the, uh, of the sensor that, that hears the sounds. You would think that's easily rectifiable with um, you know, custom voice signatures and things like that, though. Yes, I, I, think it, I think it's something they could probably fix. I mean, or you could just basically allow each user to give, it, give glass a, a unique name that would be hard for people to remember if they heard it once, and then they could just you know, say that instead of glass, and then people wouldn't be able to hijack it. I mean, let's face it as well. Google is not a hardware company. Has none of their hardware products have really taken off. I mean, Android—they landed up, you know, doing all sorts of partnerships. And I think Chromebook—I don't know if it's quite taken off. But so they sort of dabble in hardware, but it's—it's it's certainly not their core competency. I mean, they're a software engineering company. They've—they, you know, they failed at social. They continue to fail at social and hardware. Nothing's really happening. So, you know, I think I think. I would guess they would be happy if it just stimulates the wearable tech space and even if it lands up being an Apple product but people land up using Google um, for search results and the Apple product, I think they, they would be quite happy with that. Yeah, I think, I think you raise a good point. Um, and I, you know, I hope that Apple still has the creative ability to come up with uh, new products uh, that are really transformative. So I guess we'll just have to see. And I think, you know, the wearable tech, there may be some other type of technology, some other type of user interface that, you know, the voice doesn't, it's, something doesn't seem, you know, I can't picture a whole, a whole commuter bus full of people wearing glasses and talking to their phones. I just don't see it happening. But if there's some other type of user interface, maybe in conjunction with the phone, maybe you use the, the phone to drive it. Or even, I know it sounds a little bit far-fetched, but, you know, some sort of type of electrode system that, that, you know, picks up, you know, thoughts from your brain, you know, which already does exist. So it's not, it's not that far-fetched. There's an Australian startup um, woman in San Francisco that's got a company that actually it's quite easy to train um, user interfaces that are thought-controlled. And they've got all that tech already. I love that idea. 
So I think I think it's I think it's still early days, but it'll be very interesting to to, to see what happens. Um, Peter, I really thank you for your time. Um, it'd be interesting to see where where Google Glass goes. Are you are you going to try get your hands on on a pair at any stage? Uh, I might do it if the price goes down. Um, I, I'm not going to be an early adopter, uh, but I will say this much: um, I wrote, I found some really good reviews uh, from two journalists on, uh, on CNET. Right. Uh, who 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 I read those and I thought they were really excellent and uh, kind of if I were if I were really in, into glass I would say uh, and you don't have a pair I'd say that's probably the best thing that I've seen um, to give you kind of what the experience is like. I appreciate that. I'll look those up and I'll link them to the sh- the show notes. I'll also put a link to um, your Twitter account and info about your your book. I'll be interested myself to see what um, that's about. And um, no doubt we'll be touching base in a few months and uh, it's going to be an an interesting space, the wearable tech space. Maybe it will just fizzle. But uh, I I think I think something I think it's I I think something's going to evolve eventually. It's probably going to be quite different. But it does seem like the natural next step in the evolution from the mobile phone, something that's a little bit more seamless to our everyday life. I agree. Peter Cohen is a contributor at Forbes magazine and author of Hungry Startup Strategy. Appreciate uh, you joining us so early in the morning, your time. And thanks for joining us on the It's a Monkey podcast. Thank you, Kevin. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back. Find new people to follow. Track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. Now, James, I don't like tech for tech's sake. That's why I've, I've never been one that just buys tech. I, I only like tech when it's used for something, and I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by Google Glass. Mm, me too, me too. I think it's... Um I'm not necessarily intrigued by the product as it is now. Like, I think it's probably fairly limited um, in, in, like, the actual thing you're going to get when you take it out of the box and start playing with it. But, like, the next version or the version after that, I think I think it really changed the world. I think we're very close to, to having something like that. Yeah, I think, it, as we mentioned in last week's or last, um, you know, two weeks' podcast, I, I think that the, the collapsing of technology into ourselves you know m- moving from from these big fat green screens that what you you could only use in a computer room you know down to a personal computer that sat in your desk at work to then a personal computer at home and then you know tablets and and phones and just collapsing in to to ourselves and just and just uh, the gap between um you know the technology and ourselves is getting so small and that's it's scary it's exciting Mm. um yeah no it's definitely both yeah yeah look you know i think it's i think it's gonna be very interesting when when um (laughs) well it's kind of weird to think of but i guess when you can kind of live in a world of your own creation when you know everything is sort of is viewed through this through this interface and um and yeah, and everything is kind of mocked up digital, digitally. I think it's a very interesting world, and um, yeah, and I, as as we can see, you know, Google Glass is already making us sort of question our expectations of what happens when you've got, you know, technology persistent persistently on your body and um, and always around you. 
Um, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if over the next, you know, five, ten years that that becomes, you know, quite a major major point in um, in humanity's sort of view of each other in the world. I think we're really are still sort of starting to enter this whole um, sort of post-humanist phase where, you know, you have to sort of make a choice of whether you actually want to be, you know, um, in blemish with technology or not, whether you actually want to have it as part of your being as a, as a permanent thing. I think, you know, I think... I think we're heading more to, how can I say, a dualistic type of society. You know, the way I see it is, you know, people love New York City. And when they're not in New York City, they like to be on a little island with no technology and have nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and sort of that's how I, that, that's sort of how I'm sort of seeing where the, the world's almost evolving into these two, I'd call them extremes. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, you want to, you kind of, technology provides you with like the day-to-day and, you know, the things you can do. And so much. To be really productive. Yeah, and so much. But you almost need the release as well. You need the alternative where you can just, you know, recharge and, um, and unplug. I think that's why, you know, the trend of, um, you know, unplugged holidays is becoming so big, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's definitely... And I think why people love music festivals and retreats and all that sort of stuff is because, um, you, you know, the velocity of everything in our day-to-day lives is so fast, but it is so fun and it is so, um, you know, we're learning so much every day and it's 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 really, it's um, substantial. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. it's substantial that we need that counterpose, we need that counterbalance. Have you looked at the um, Google Glass API? Yeah, I have looked through the API. It's it's quite interesting. Um, I mean, it's very limited as it is. It's um, yeah, it's got kind of this. Um, uh, how would I describe it? It's very. It's almost like sort of the early days of the internet, sort of like dial-up in the sense of the limited amount of information you can send. It's not like. It's not a lot like having. It's not like you've got a computer on your face, or it's not like. It's not like you've got. Um, I guess a phone always in front of you. It's it's kind of like a very limited amount of information that you're kind of pushing through in small chunks um and i think that that's obviously partly due to things like processing power screen size limited amount of interface that it has um and i'm sure it will ramp up much faster than than other technologies have because all this stuff already exists um but yeah i mean it's it's interesting what exists and there's obviously lots of companies playing around with it like i know new york times is rolling out an app um and even yahoo is building on top of the api um, so yeah, I mean it'd be very interesting to see what see what comes out of it and um, and where it goes from here. What the next stage is. I think the more interesting application would be not so much for a persistent type of data um, or you know constant type of stream data. I think that would just be just too much. But um, exception type of data mm. would be mm. quite interesting. Um, like like what? So if you get an email from a certain person, right, or, or you've, got a, you've got a whitelist of five people, you get an email from any of those five people, pops up in your glasses and you can read it, right? But the rest of your stream, whatever. Same mm. with tweets. Same with even a Google type of content alert or even just say, you know, I don't know, thinking out aloud, maybe perhaps if there's a New York Times article that suddenly spikes us at a certain level of traffic, push it on, push it, you know, so if there's some exceptional world event mm-hmm. that some suddenly drives 
Um, that, that's where I would be interested in using it. I don't think I'd be interested in just following my tweet stream, you know, constantly. <laughs> no, as much bit. as I love my tweet stream. <laughs> well, he's having the latest tweet from your eye. Yeah, yeah. probably a little bit, uh, get a little bit oversaturated. And um, there's obviously the me- media, um, you know, consumption and creation side of it and having that um, camera always on on your face is very interesting. Um, and I think it's also quite interesting that Google have chosen not to have any kind of display when the camera is running. I think that's quite an interesting thing because, you know, if you're currently sitting in front of a computer or even a lot of phones, like they'll have like the the click sound when you've got the when you've got the camera running or they'll mm. have a little light to show that um, like you got the camera on. Um, but that doesn't exist with glass. So it's almost like you just ex- you have to kind of expect if you're sitting in front of, in front of somebody with Google Glass, you know, you could always be recorded. Um, and yeah, I think that's it's a very in- interesting thing <laughs> to consider. And I think the legality of that is if if people are in a public place, that's okay. Is that is that right? As far as I know, particularly in, as far as I know about Australia, I think there's no yeah you can basically film anything and there's no kind of um, expectations of privacy if you if you are in public yeah but i don't know presumably if you're in a meeting or something like that then Mm. um then Then they have to know there has they have to be be aware maybe yeah um that that they yeah so i know i'm sure all this stuff will start coming up and you know once you have your you know people posting videos of you know, who knows what, you know, inside of meetings or domestic disputes, that kind of stuff. I'm sure these things will start becoming, you know, front and centre of the news of this, this kind of privacy debate. Yeah, look, so look, interesting times. I think um, it's more seems like it's a philosophical shift than even just a technical shift because technically, I mean, I think the only interesting tech in it is the glass projection type. Yeah, 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 which is... Which is it's pretty it substantial. I, I mean, yeah. the main thing they've done, obviously, is, is, sh- is shrunk it down to that size, I think, is, is the most interesting part. Um, and, yeah, that one will keep getting smaller as well. So. Yeah. Okay, I think that's it for episode number 19. You've been listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter. Please follow us on Twitter, Monkey Podcast. Follow us on Facebook. Um, tweet us, email us. Um, yeah, we love your comments. We know you're out there listening. Um, we trust you are enjoying it because you keep coming back and um, episode number 20 we will be talking to one of the co-founders of 99designs who um, we've got him scheduled in for an interview next week Um, so be talking to him a little bit about his startup journey and also about he has a new um, speaking of marketplaces which were earlier he's got a new marketplace for developers and companies I believe and of course, 99 Designs is an—it's a crowdsourcing marketplace that's um, you know done very very well and and built out of Australia, one of the few successes. And um, we'll be chatting to him. Um, but until then, have a good couple of weeks, and um, we'll see you next time. Have a good one.